Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, January 20th, 2023. So we have a new name associated with the Biden cover-up of the classified documents, and her name is Kathy Chung. Now, Kathy Chung was uh, Biden's executive assistant after he got out of his vice presidential position. And apparently, Kathy was... And I'm reading between the lines here. Chung may have been the person that moved the boxes containing the classified documents from Biden's old office in Virginia. And apparently he was renting office space or renting a a mansion with office space in Virginia. And so she moved those documents, apparently, from Biden's old office in Virginia to the Penn Biden Center. She must have come across some type of realization that there were important documents in the boxes that she moved. Maybe she looked, maybe one fell out, she saw classified. So this happened between 2017 and 2018. Now, apparently she spoke with associates who said she was concerned that she may have moved classified documents in the Penn Biden Center. And let's go to an article. Now, this is from the Washington Post, of all places. And the Washington Post is trying to, you know, help Biden with this cover-up. The whole article is about, well, you know, Biden was just trying to do the right thing. His uh, attorneys were just trying to do the right thing. It wasn't, it, it wasn't a cover-up. It was actually the attorneys just trying to be cautious. And this is part of the article. So let me just read this. It says, as attention focused on the document's path from the vice president's office to the Penn-Biden Center... Biden's longtime executive assistant, Kathy Chung, has confided in associates that she is distressed that she might have inadvertently been involved in moving or storing classified material at the center, planting the seed of the current uproar, according to a person briefed on her account, probably her attorney. So here's what happened. Apparently, Kathy Chung was involved moving the documents from the Virginia office to the Penn Biden Center. And for some reason, she became aware that they may have been classified documents in in them. Now, this raises the question, this was done like in 2018. So what happened from 2018 until November 2022? That's a long time. What was going on there? And that's my question. So if Kathy Chung knew that there were documents in this, in the Penn Biden Center that were classified. Why did it take so long for Biden to send his attorneys into the office? That's the first question I have. How long did the Biden people actually know it? Now, do you really think Kathy Chung was the only person that knew there were documents in there that could have been classified? I doubt that. Now, let's let's go to a refresher on this. What we have here is we have right before the midterm elections. The um, Biden attorneys discovered classified documents at the Penn Biden Center. They alerted National Archives, who alerted the Department of Justice. And this whole thing was being covered up until CBS broke a story on January 9th, 2023, that said there were classified documents found in the Penn Biden Center. And it would have continued to be covered up unless CBS did something. Now, who was the leaker? I got a suspicion that the leaker was probably Bill Taylor. Kathy Chung's attorney, because she probably sensed in her, uh, her attorney probably sensed that, wait a second, we got this, all this stuff out there with Mar-a-Lago. And meanwhile, Biden's got classified documents in his office. 
Well, eventually they're going to find them and they're going to try to pin this on somebody if it gets exposed. And I'm sure Kathy Chung thought that she was going to be the person that was going to be left high and dry. And as long as nobody knew about this, there was a long time that a story could be created that pointed the things at her. And I firmly believe that it was her or her attorney or somebody associated with her that leaked this information to CBS, who in turn went to the White House and said, is this true? And they confirmed that it was true. And again, remember, the only reason that we found out about it is because of this leak and because that CBS exposed it. And then what happened is they came out, yeah, they found some classified documents in the Penn Biden Center, but that's it. Nothing more. But at the time, don't forget, they knew that there were sent a second tranche of documents at Biden's residence in Delaware. So this is where we are. So I guess on January 6th, the uh, FBI formally interrogated Kathy Chung about this. And we don't know where it's going to. But again, it still does not provide me with the answer and how those documents got originally at Biden's office in Virginia, as well as his uh, the Delaware House. So this is all a mess. This is absolutely a mess. It's an embarrassment. And the whole thing with this story here in the Post is that, oh, it's an honest mistake. They were just trying to not tick off the Department of Justice. In other terms, it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up. Simple as that. It's a cover-up. And they got caught. And we would not have known anything about this without CBS. So now the mainstream media, in spite of CBS, is trying to carry the water for the Biden administration right now. Because you got to go, you know, you got to, there's a battle behind the scenes right now with the deep state on whether Biden's going to be the candidate or not. And we all like to think that the deep state works in unions, and most of the time they do. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, um, you know, there, there is a battle behind the scenes. There, make it clear, there are people that want Biden to run in 2024 versus people not wanting Biden to run. So you got your politics going on and you've got your deep state trying to find out or figure out which way I got to go. Because you got to understand with the deep state is that they need political backing in some respect. And what they're very good at, these bureaucrats, is that they are very good at reading the tea leaves on where the political winds are going. And that's what's going on right now. And, and when you've got the Democrats kind of fighting over who's going to be the candidate, the bureaucracy, the deep state kind of gets a little confused. And right now they're a little confused as well as the media because the media is like, oh, what are we supposed to do? So you got CBS breaking the story, but at the same time, I'm going to play some clips. You got CNN, you got Jake Tapper trying to cover for Biden. And with that said, I want to go to a clip. In, and this is uh, J Jake Tapper's interviewing James Comer. Now, James Comer is going to be or is the head of the oversight committee, and he intends to investigate this whole scandal. So Tapper's interviewing him. I'm going to play the ta uh, I'm going to play a key part of the interview, but uh, Tapper flat out lies about whether a vice president can declassify documents or not. So let me play the clip and then we'll come back. It's my understanding that President Trump did let the National Archives go through 
on numerous occasions, Mar-a-Lago looking at the documents. What my understanding is, and again, we don't know because we haven't been briefed, was that President Trump was arguing with National Archives over what is classified and what is not. As we've heard the president say before, the president has the authority to declassify documents. Now, the question is whether or not the president actually declassified the documents. The vice president does not have the authority to declassify documents. Actually, the vice, the vice president so, does you know, have. There's a big do, difference The here. vice president does. I'm not saying we that, don't, we, we, the vice we, president does have that authority. That. That. Well, we disagree that the vice president does. Now, he's flat out lying. Now, I think what he's reading into, there was a, um, an executive order by Obama which said that the, uh, the president, vice president, and some bureaucrats have the ability to classify documents. But if you read further into the executive order, it's only the president that can declassify. And it's clearly implied in this executive order that it's only the president that can do so. So I think that Tapper intentionally misread this executive order to mislead the American people. But this is what they do in the media. Now, also, the Constitution implies that only the president has the ability to do so. There's a lot of case law out there also that says that only the president can do so. So, again, Tapper's lying. Now, I want to go to another clip, and this is by CNN. CNN, you got to, CNN's hanging in there. They're going down with the ship. They're losing all their viewers, but they're going down with the ship. And I'm going to play a clip, and, and it's comical. Here's what they're saying. Oh, you know, no big deal. Happens all the time. Classified documents leave all the time without authorization. So let's go to the clip. Then we'll come back and have a good laugh. How just common it could be for classified documents to be outside of the protected places and spaces they're supposed to be in. Experts in this matter say it is known as classified spillage. And in most cases, there are simple mistakes that are not typically charged as crimes. Is it an accepted thing? How common is this? What is your reporting found? Yeah, Caitlin, this kind of uh, this kind of classified spillage happens almost literally every day. But part of the reason this is so common, Caitlin, is simply the law of large numbers. There are over four million security clearance holders floating around out there, and some national security officials will also acknowledge that the U.S. government has a pretty big problem with overclassification. There are just millions and millions and millions of pieces of classified information, not all of which are exquisite. Oh, you gotta love this. So now overclassification is a problem, but it wasn't a problem when they found a letter between, or a love letter between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump. That's classified documents. But if it was the same love letter from Joe Biden, ah, that's overclassification. And it's comical. And CNN, we're laughing at you. The world is laughing at you, but they don't realize it. Because they, they got to go down with their ship. While I'm at it, you know, here's here's the thing that I also find that's dangerous is that you've got Hunter Biden living in the mansion which housed the Corvette and classified documents, and we all know Hunter's business dealings, China, Ukraine. So what was Hunter's involvement? Did he have access? Well, we know he had access to these documents. Did he do anything with these documents? And at what was the price? And that's what I want to know. Now, one thing you have to know, too, with James Comer and the Oversight Committee, they're going to try to block a lot of the information, a lot of the information that's requested by the Oversight Committee. 
they're going to say, ah, you know, it's under investigation. We can't get, provide you with anything. Now, I heard that the Secret Service has already come out and said that, look, we're going to provide you with everybody that visited Biden and his mansion in Delaware. Now, according to the law or according to the rules that have been set for a number of years is that uh, you don't have to log visitors to the private residence of a president. You have to log them when they come into the White House, but you don't have to log them when they visit the president at his home. So, and I'm surprised that the Secret Service has come out and said that. There's going to be some backlash behind the scenes. And I'm really going to be surprised if this material comes out of the Secret Service. I hope it does. But somebody's on the phone right now with the head of Secret Service, probably coming from the White House, probably the White House Chief of Staff, reading the head of the Secret Service, the Riot Act. So we'll see what happens with this. All right, so Janet Yellen formally gave uh, Congress her letter regarding us hitting the debt ceiling. And, uh, you know, just a quick refresher on the debt ceiling is that, you know, federal government is allowed to uh, borrow money when it spends more than it takes in, which has resulted in us accumulating $31.4 trillion in debt. Well, there's a law in place that caps the amount of borrowing that the Treasury can do in order to fund the government. And if they exceed that, they have to come back and ask for a higher debt ceiling. They've been doing it for years. They kept on raising it, raising it, raising it. And now it's at $31.4 trillion. And uh, Yellen said, oh, we're going to exceed it. And here's where she was misleading uh, last week. Uh, She said we hit the debt ceiling, but we're really not going to have an issue with the debt ceiling until sometime in June. So all, all, all this catastrophic talk that she was talking about last week was just to take the eyes off of the Biden fiasco, the Biden classified document fiasco. So I just want to give you a heads up. You're going to constantly hear from the media, likely from um, uh, the Biden administration, is that, oh, Social Security recipients won't be able to get their checks. Uh, people on Medicare... Uh, and Medicaid will not have their bills paid for, and they're trying to gin up all this fear in the American people. And then, for example, I was watching uh, Scripps uh, Network, News Network. Scripps used to be called Newsy, and I guess the the name Newsy was too nerdy, so they changed it to Scripps, I guess, in January, uh, on January 1st. And they had a former Treasury official, and this is what gets me. I, I, I am really good at government finance. I, I was My whole career was a government finance, and I'm better than anyone else regarding government finance. And the only reason I'm not working in Washington is that I don't want to work with those schmucks. So listen to me on this. This is my wheelhouse. And so they had, so Scripps had this treasury official, former treasury official, essentially implying that, well, you know, if they don't pay the debt, uh, there could be a recession or a depression. And, and it, it's clearly not true. And this is what gets me. Don't be fooled by any of these people. There is enough money coming in to the American coffers that we will always be able to pay our debt. And that should be our number one priority. Now, the issue is whether we would be able to pay other bills. And now if push comes to shove and they have to make additional cuts, they'll have to furlough people, maybe lay people off so they can pay their debt. But there is no, there is no way 
Janet Yellen will not pay our debt. And there's no reason for it. So this is why I want to see the cash flow from Yellen. How did you come to this point? How did you come to the point that said that we're going to run out of money? And again, it's not running out of money. It's just not being able to borrow for the overspending that the federal government is doing. And it's got to stop. So there's so many things that Yellen can do. Again, like I said, that you could furlough people, you can lay off people, certain transfers to intra-government agencies can be held back, funding going to other countries can be held back. There's so many things. So Yellen's got to come up with a game plan on what to do, what's going to be cut. Because this can't go on. Now, the Biden administration is coming out and saying that, oh, we're not going to negotiate this because they feel that previous government shutdowns have hurt the Republicans more than the Democrats. So they're quite willing to do so. And this wouldn't be a real government shutdown. This would just be laying people off and cutting back on spending so we don't create any more deficits, which would result in us taking more debt. So you may also hear this term government shutdown, but this is not going to be a government shutdown. I think the biggest one I remember is the, uh, I think it was Newt Gingrich. I think the shutdown was with, uh, uh, during the Clinton administration. And, uh, you know, apparently the, the, the Republicans took the heat on that one. But I think, I, I think this is a different world today. I think $31.4 trillion sticks out in people's minds and they want something done. They weren't happy with the $1.7 trillion that was pushed through at the last moment last year. And this is another bite at the apple for the Republicans to do something about that. Now you hear uh, the news people and, uh, oh, this is for money already spent. We've already committed this, you know, spent this money. We have to pay it. No, we don't. No, we don't. Unless we get a game plan on how we're moving ahead on reducing this uh, deficit or reducing our debt, we don't have to do anything. And the other thing they're going to do is that you know, around June, they're going to they're gonna cut all the high-profile stuff that people apparently like or that the news people like. I think last time they did this a number of years ago is they closed all the federal parks. Well, we're closing all the parks because we can't afford it because we don't have enough money. There's a government shutdown. And then the, you get the press out there and the press is saying, oh, this is terrible. People can't go to the park because of the government shutdown. And that's what the Biden administration is going to do. They're going to do all the high-profile cutting first, just to make it look really bad. So they cut down the cut out the parks, cut other programs that everybody sees every day, cut out federal s- support of uh, programs like Meals on Wheels, that kind of stuff. And then they're going to put poor grandma out there. Oh, my grandma's starving because the federal government shut down. No, it's because of yelling. That wasn't a priority to yelling. And that's why I want to see her cash flow. Because you'll see what Biden's priority is and what they're not going to pay over the next six months or past that. Now, I want to give everybody a warning of what's going to be on the table here with Yellen. And as I always said, forewarned is forearmed. Now, one of the things they're going to look to cut is defense. And quite frankly, they may have to cut some funding of defense because that's where the money's at. Defense spending is huge. In many cases, it's bloated. Be prepared that that's going to be thrown out there by the Democrats. And it may be accepted by the Republicans as part of a plan. And you're going to hear from people with vested interests. 
the consultants, the people that are making massive amounts of money off the Defense Department. So be prepared. Forewarned is forearmed. So we shall see. All right, our friends in Davos, the World Economic Forum, they're meeting this week. And before I get into it, I just want to read a couple of articles. And the first article has to do uh, with a study by Oxfam. And it says here, the richest 1% of people amassed two-thirds of new wealth created in the last two years, Oxfam says. Uh, Since 2020, the richest 1% of people have accumulated close to two-thirds of all new wealth created around the world, a new report from Oxfam says. It says, over the last two years, the richest 1% of people have accumulated close to two-thirds of all new wealth created around the world. A total of $42 trillion in new wealth has been created since 2020, with $26 trillion, or 63% of that, being amassed by the top 1% of the ultra-rich, according to the report. The remaining 99% of the global population collected just $16 trillion of new wealth. A billionaire gained roughly $1.7 million for every $1 of new global wealth earned by a person in the bottom 90%, the report says. And listen, you have to understand that this wealth, the 1%, is coming out of your pocket. And it just so happens that a good chunk of those people at the World Economic Forum include the 1%. Shocking, huh? And that's going to lead me to two other articles. The next article I want to talk about, it says, uh, U.S. household debt rises to $16.5 trillion. A new NerdWallet study found that U.S. households have reached a total debt of $16.5 trillion, a 7.65% increase from the year before. That number means that the average U.S. household owes more than $165,000 in debt. The study also found that credit card balances carried from month to month have gone up over the past year, now totaling roughly $460 billion. Credit card debt is often thought to be the result of frivolous spending, but for many Americans, it's not true, said Sarah Ratner, a nerd wallet credit card expert. Consumers are feeling the squeeze of higher prices and interest rates, and paychecks just aren't keeping up. That's forcing many to make tough decisions, like going into debt to pay for necessities. Second article I want to read is from Bloomberg And it says, global debt racing to 366% of output risks the next crisis, S&P warns. The world is at risk of a crisis as government, households, and financial institutions binge on debt, a habit that S&P Global Ratings warns could push overall leverage to 366% of global gross domestic product. Now, I want to link these two articles with the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum is made up predominantly of the 1%. And their wealth is coming out of your pocket. Not all of it, but a good chunk of it. And let me explain. Now, here's two examples. The first example is, let's take a look at the Inflation Reduction Act, which isn't really an Inflation Reduction Act. It's shifting of money into green energy. So 
good chunk of this money goes into the making the 1% even richer. It's all about putting money out for consultants, putting the 1% in a position to make even more money. And we're paying for it. I just want to point that out. All this wealth that's been created has come at your expense. The artificially low interest rates, that artificially inflated assets that they owned, taxes we pay for legislation that benefits them. And the second example I wanted to point out is, let's look at Al Gore. Al Gore's there. When Al Gore left government service, he was worth about $1.7 million. Now, you know what he's worth now? Apparently, he's worth $300 million. And it's all because the climate change scam. But he's there. Okay, let's take a look at some other Americans that uh, are there. So we've got Daryl Issa, a congressman from California. He's in attendance. We have Mikey Sherrill, a congresswoman from New Jersey. She's there. And I want to point out about Mikey Sherrill. Someone pointed this out. I don't know who said this. But Mikey Sherrill's, I think, a, uh, a graduate of the Naval Academy. And I, I really think it's dangerous when uh, graduates of uh, West Point, Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, they're attending these conferences, these, these uh, globalist conferences. Because in many cases, these graduates of our military academies, they're the ones that are going to lead the military. And how can you lead a military when your loyalties aren't to your country, but a world organization? So I just wanted to point that out. If there's something that can be done about this, and I don't think that... Uh, uh, anything's going to be done right now because we've got a woke military. But I got a problem with our military graduates attending these conferences. So Mikey Shell was there. Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, the one that undercut Herschel Walker, he's there. And good old Chris Ray, the FBI director, he's there. There's probably a couple other ones, but this is the, these are the ones that I just remembered. And it was pretty much a down year, I think, for the, the conference because things aren't going so well for them. Populism's on the rise. All the policies that they have pushed are not coming to fruition. You've got a war in Ukraine that they helped start. So with that said, let me just go to Klaus Schwab. Give you a quick clip on him. So we'll come back and discuss. The world has been undergoing tremendous changes with many challenges, the pandemic, the war in Europe, the slowing economy, the energy crisis, food crisis, supply chain instability, climate change, and I could go on. The world is becoming even more fragmented. And we must seek cooperation in this fragmented world. Now, isn't this rich? Most of the problems that Schwab stated were created by the globalists. We're in a stagflation environment. We're looking at a worldwide recession. We've got the war in Ukraine. We've got the world economy uh, splitting between the globalists and Russia, China. Brazil, India, and 
Schwab wants more cooperation. You know what I would think? I think you should just begin folding it up. Fold up the tent. Time to go, Schwab. Your time has come and passed. But they're going to hold on to this thing. They still think that we've got to merge government with big business. That's the best way. Let the elites rule the world. Not the people, not God, but them. And with that said, I just want to go to a clip. And this is a a clip about how our media just has sold out. And, And this is a clip from Rebel News. Rebel News is a Canadian conservative news outlet. And they're there at Davos, and and they uh, actually gave a ad hoc interview to a CNBC editor. And I want to play this clip because I just want to show that the media out there is nothing more than a cheerleader for the World Economic Forum, and that's what it's become. The the CNBCs, the Bloombergs, the Yahoo Finances, all these news outlets are nothing more than cheerleaders of globalism. So just let me just play this clip. Uh, the reporter's name is Avi Yemeni. And I'm not even going to name the name of the uh, CNBC editor that he interviews on the street. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. How you doing, sir? Can I ask you what CNBC is doing here? No. You can't, I can't ask you? No, can't. I'm you? you didn't put a camera in my face, thank you. Really? But you're here as an invited guest and you're an editor for CNBC. Don't you think that's a bit of a conflict of interest? I'd like you to go away. I haven't, I haven't agreed to an interview. If you're doorstepping me, like, go away. Seriously, take your phone, Don't touch the mic. You're meant to be speaking truth to power. Are you here just to take your marching orders? Is that what you're here for? Do you want to go away? Not really. I'm here to do what you should be doing. Yeah? Please take this out of my mouth. I'm going to have you escorted off for security. All right. Do that. There you go. CNBC. Their job is supposed to be doing what he's complaining I'm doing. And now he's calling security to escort me off the premises. Well, and if you saw the video, this, the arrogance and the disdain that uh, this CNBC editor had for uh, Avi is just compelling. And it's compelling to me because it shows you that, you know, these are the people that write the headlines that people read. And the guy's a nasty guy. He just comes across as a really nasty, arrogant guy. And, but think about it, it just folds right into what the World Economic Forum wants. They want the merger of corporations with government. And that includes corporate media, which Bloomberg, CNBC, falls in line with and speaking of arrogant people i just want to play a quick clip of john Kerry. john Kerry was there and let's go to this and we'll discuss about it it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. And that's what I love about these people. They're all self-anointed. They're self-anointed experts. They're self-anointed select people. And the only problem is, is that there's a lot of money behind them. But there's more of us than them. Just remember that. And 
the last clip I want to go to is Christopher Ray. Christopher Ray was there and he was speaking. He was on a panel and you know, he should be back home. He's got a, he should be busy at home instead of flying to Davos to talk to globalists. Maybe he's looking for his next job, but I have a problem when our FBI director is out there mingling among globalists and people who do, do not have the interests of the American people at heart. So let's go to the clip uh, with Ray, and then we'll come back and discuss. Now, the key thing to point out here is that they love the merging of government and the private sector. And Ray is giving them what they want. Just taste, listen to this. He's giving them what they want. And particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has, I think, uh, made significant strides. Pretty much every technology we could talk about today, uh, we see both great opportunity but great, great dangers uh, in the wrong hands. How ironic. In the wrong hands. He's got, a, he's got a lot of nerve. With everything's coming out about the FBI twisting the arm of Twitter to put its finger on the scale of the election, FISA, Russiagate, he's got a lot of nerve. In the wrong hands. Yeah, in your hands. But I do find it scary. Here's a guy and here's an organization that's proud about the expanding surveillance society that we're living in. And I think on the same panel was the former... British Prime Minister, I, I forget off the top of my head what his name is, but he's pushing for an international database that keeps track of everyone's vaccine status in the world. So these people are pushing for the surveillance state. Christopher Ray is pushing for a surveillance state. And these are the guys that are in charge in Washington right now. These, these are the people that are involved with Mar-a-Lago, with Biden, and I can't wait for these Hearings to start on the weaponization of our institutions. And at the top of the list is the FBI and the Department of Justice. Looking forward to that. And before I switch on to another topic, I just want to uh, give you an example of how the globalists and the World Economic Forum are not doing too well. And this has to do with the socialist Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. And she just announced that she is stepping down as prime minister. And if you can remember Arden, she was the heavy-handed prime minister that during the pandemic followed the Chinese way of lockdowns with these ad hoc heavy-handed lockdowns for her country. And when there were protests against the severe lockdowns, Arden threatened to use the military against the protests after the police initially refused orders to forcibly remove the protesters. Arden's law enforcement officials later attacked the protesters with water cannons, triggering violence. She banned unvaccinated New Zealand citizens from entering the country. She was actually quoted as saying she wanted to make unvaccinated New Zealanders second-class citizens. She banned semi-automatic weapons, and she was a darling of the World Economic Forum. And the people of New Zealand have had enough. And she reads the writing. She's uh, politically sensitive to know that she was going to lose. So she stepped down. She's done enough damage to this country. And the attacks against Christianity continue. And it continues in the world of sports. And I want to take us to an article. And this is from the New York Post. And it's about a Philadelphia Flyer defenseman, Ivan Provorov 
who did not participate in warm-ups before the team's home game against the Ducks on Tuesday night because he refused to wear a Pride Night jersey and use sticks wrapped in rainbow Pride tape. So what I want to do is I just want to go to a clip and uh, have Provorov explain himself, and then we'll come back and discuss. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. Any, uh, like I said, that's all I'm going to comment on that. Um, if you have any hockey questions, I would like, I would answer those. Just, um, can you just kind of find what so Provorov, who's Russian Orthodox, is getting skewered by the press. Oh, the reporters are absolutely terrible. And I just want to play a clip of one of the reporters just essentially tell, oh, go back to Russia. Go back to Russia and fight in the war against Ukraine. What kind of answer is that? So let me just play this clip and you can decide how unhinged this reporter is. I think his name is E.J. Raddick. Erratic. That's appropriate for a guy like this. Erratic. He wants and go back to a place where he feels more comfortable, take less money, and get on with his life that way. If it's that problematic for him, and he's been in North America for a long time, he played in the Western Hockey League. He's now been in Philadelphia for many years. If this is that much of a problem for him to maybe assimilate into his group of teammates and in the community and here in this country. That's okay, listen, you can feel any way you want. But the beauty is, if it bothers you that much, there's always a chance to leave, go back where you feel more comfortable. I understand there's a conflict of sorts going on over there. Maybe get involved. So, I, I... And then there was another reporter that said, oh, Provorov's a coward. He's hiding behind his religion. He's a coward. He's a bigot, but he's hiding behind his religion. Well, guess what, Mr. Raddick? There's plenty of Americans that feel the same way that Provorov does. And again, guys like Raddick, guys like these other reporters, they don't understand that freedom of religion is protected. And that's the problem with the gay community. That's the problem with guys like Raddick, too. The gay community has to realize that freedom of religion allows people to not agree with your lifestyle. You don't have to accept it. You have to tolerate it. And guys like Raddick, guys like these other reporters, they don't want to tolerate it. They don't want to tolerate any Christianity. They want to wipe out Christianity. Oh, you don't like it? Go back to Russia. You don't like it? Don't play. And that's where we come to today. And that's a problem with America today. And that's a problem with the way these left-wing nuts think. And the problem with this guy, Rag, you don't know if he really believes or if he's just saying this because this is what he thinks his bosses want. But guess what? The joke is on them. You know what the hottest selling jersey in the NHL is today? Provorov's jersey. So the joke's on you guys. People are allowed to pursue their religion. People are allowed to express their religion. And if it's unpopular with you, too bad. It's constitutionally protected. And you know what, Radic? If you don't like that Philadelphia didn't fire Provorov, stop covering them. See where that gets you. Take a stand on that. Don't cover Provorov. Don't cover Philadelphia. You're not going to do that because you're a coward. You're the coward, Reddick. Now, I want to take us to a second story about attacking Christianity in the sports world. Unbelievable. In the sports world. And this has to do with Tony Dungy. 
And let me just read an article from Fox News. And it says here, uh, Tony Dungy to attend March for Life, dubbed right-wing extremist. Hall of Fame football coach Tony Dungy announced Wednesday on Twitter that he will be attending the March for Life in Washington, D.C. on Friday. The two-time Super Bowl champion, one as a player, one as a coach, said he will attend to support those unborn babies who don't have a voice. It will be his first time at the rally, and it has sparked criticism in the media. Dave Zirin, sports editor for The Nation, said he is done with Tony Dungy and the way the NFL and NBC coddle his right-wing extremists. Zirin said Dungy is someone venerated throughout the NFL world as a man of character, but has spent years as an anti-gay bigot. Zirin wrote, he publicly and proudly says that he would not want a gay football player Michael Sam on his team. He said over a decade ago that he disagreed with the lifestyle of Jason Collins, the first out active male gay player in the main four North American sports. This is a dungy staple. Calling being LGBT a lifestyle, even after people have said to him repeatedly how hurtful and outdated such a description is. He simply doesn't care. He also ripped the NFL and NBC where Dungy hosts Football Night in America for celebrating him and his politics. This is a staggering indictment of the politics the NFL and the network partners allow and the kind that they condemned. When someone like, gee, I don't know, Colin Kaepernick steps up and kneels down to end police violence and racial inequality, he becomes a pariah. Meanwhile, Dungy is held up as a deeply religious man and nearly a patron saint of the league, Dungy has used his devoutness as a cover for his anti-gay rhetoric and sharing platforms with unapologetic bigots. You know, what is it with these sports writers today? They're nothing more than political hacks. They're nothing more than activists. And you can't attack a man for his religious beliefs. Tolerate it. And I've said this all along. It's protected. And by gay people and by transvestites going after Christian people, you're not helping your case. Live with it. But to go after Christianity, you're going after the fundamental cornerstone of this country. So to you, Zirin, just be quiet and let Dungy do his thing. Okay, let me touch on a couple of items before I go to the loser of the week. And the first thing I wanted to say is I told you so. It was a number of episodes ago I said that the leaker is one of the Supreme Court justices. And I think this report that came out by the Supreme Court just confirmed that. It's hard to believe that they could not find who the leaker was unless it was one of the justices. And you have to understand is that the chief justice is an institutionalist. And he's not going to do anything to undermine the institution of the Supreme Court. And clearly, if he does a report that says, oh, my God, it was one of the liberal justices, which I think it was, it would undermine the institution. He couldn't have any of that. Justice Roberts could not have any of that. And that's why I think it's one of the justices. And the second story I wanted to cover, and uh, this is a headline from the Gateway Pundit. It says, New York City judge overturns healthcare worker vaccine mandate. Rules Governor H Kathy Hochul and state's health department overstepped their authority. It says a Supreme Court judge in New York City has ruled that Governor Kathy Hochul and the state's health department abused their authority by mandating vaccinations 
for healthcare workers, a vaccine that's not included in the state public's health law. Judge Jerry Neri ruled that Hochul and the health department had abused their authority by sidestepping the legislature and making COVID vaccine mandates for medical staff permanent. Neri argued that the state cannot require vaccines beyond those specified in public health law. He ruled that the state's requirement that all healthcare workers get vaccinated against COVID-19 was null, void, and no effect. The mandate is beyond the scope of the respondent's authority and is therefore null, void, and of no effect, he wrote in his ruling. A term which is defined at the whim of an entity subject to change without a moment's notice contains all the hallmarks of absurdity and is in no definition at all, he said. Neri also found that the mandate was arbitrary and capricious, citing evidence that COVID-19 vaccines don't prevent the spread of virus, undercutting the basis for the mandate. In true Orwellian fashion, the respondents acknowledged then-current COVID-19 shots do not prevent transmission. Neri wrote, citing a summary of assessments of public comment that was entered into evidence. This is a huge win for New York healthcare workers who have been deprived of their livelihoods for more than a year, the plaintiff's attorney, Gibson, said in a statement. This is also a win for all New Yorkers who are facing dangerous and unprecedented healthcare worker shortage throughout the state. All right, let's go to the loser of the week. And I got a runner-up again. And my runner-up for this week is Alec Baldwin. And Alec Baldwin's being charged with involuntary manslaughter in New Mexico. And Baldwin will be charged, along with the film's armorer, with involuntary manslaughter, accusing them of failing to perform safety procedures that could have prevented the accident. Baldwin's holding the prop gun that discharged, killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the New Mexico set in October 2021. Now, we all know that Baldwin's an arrogant jerk. Through all this, he now is saying that, well, he intends to finish the movie despite facing involuntary manslaughter charges, sources say. So you're facing manslaughter charges, Alex, but you're moving ahead with the movie, which I heard was a dud anyway, or it's going to be a dud. How could you even think about finishing this movie when you killed somebody? whether it was by accident or not. And again, it just, it's all about Alex. And that's why he's getting the runner-up loser of the week. And my loser of the week is bum, ba, rum, ba, rum, bum, bum, Hank Willis Thomas. And if you don't know who Hank Willis Thomas is, is he is the artist that created the MLK statue that was unveiled in Boston earlier this week. And let me tell you something. I, I do not believe in taking down statues. But I'm going to make an exception in this case. This is ugly. It's taken Martin Luther King and whittled him down to just arms. You got to look at it. It's, you know, all it is just arms embracing each other. No head, no body, just arms. And it's a terrible th depiction of MLK. Now, depending how you look at it, some people say it's pornographic. If you look top down on it, it looks like a, a load of dog poop. But... This is not doing any service to MLK or Boston. For that reason, I'm giving the loser of the week to Hank Willis Thomas because he was given so much and did so little. And with that said, thank you for listening. You have a good week and I will talk to you next Saturday.